Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. with Nick Damon, uh, which means we must be talking about the start of a new Formula One season. Hooray! hooray! Genuinely hooray. Genuinely. Actually going around a track in a race. Hooray times ten. And Sam Collins is here as well. Hi, Sam. Let's start with the calendar. Pretty much the same this year, isn't it? They haven't, they, they, despite the rumours of adding various events, i.e. Vietnam or... Um, Miami, I think the end result has been effectively the same calendar as last year, isn't it? I don't can't think of any any changes. I, I, I think I've so dismissed any talk about calendar that it must be the, pretty much the same. Um, I think we do manage to manage to massively span another month. That we actually finish in December this year, don't we? The last race, so we get an extra month in the whole thing. We do finish in December. December the first is the final round, the Aston Marina at uh, Abu Dhabi. Um, and as you say, no major changes. Mexico and the USA are not the way round that they would normally be. Uh, they have swapped dates, but other than that, it is all as you were. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the, the big question. I know we talk about the previews of 2019 is what's coming in 2020, because as we stand now, uh, five of the races on the calendar do not have a contract, and, and, and in many ways don't even are in the current uh uh, rules for the following year, obviously including most importantly for us, parochially the British Grand Prix, but then we've got Germany, Italy, you've also got um, uh, Mexico as well now. So there's a lot up in the air for a, for a organisation that aims and is in fact written, enshrined in stone uh, its desire to hit 24 races by the 2021 season or in that three-year period following 2021. Um, they're staring down the barrel of 16 next year at the moment. Uh, but we do know that there are venues uh, that are uh, coming on for the future, including Vietnam that you mentioned earlier. Vietnam is coming. We believe Vietnam is coming on. Miami is is stuck in that that thing that's that's the worst thing possible for anything to get done at all, which is local politics and resident objections. Uh, we do still have twenty cars though, ten teams, each yes. with two drivers, uh, as has been traditional yes. since about nineteen ninety something. Uh, well, since, since, since the last the little teams disappeared and Haas rejoined, yeah, we've had we've had 20 cars, but um, we've actually gone below 20 for a whole season. I think we had a couple of times where we lost the, the 10th team during a season, but um, nowhere near the glorious days of, uh, of pasta money and pre-qualifying in 89 and 90. Well, let's bring in Sam Collins now and uh, take a look at any changes on his uh, side of Formula 1, Sam aerodynamics there's been a whole raft of aerodynamic regulation changes and it's all to make the racing a bit more exciting the FIA and Formula One discovered that 
Formula One was a bit boring, quite frankly. And they worked out that there'd been half the number of overtaking manoeuvres in 2017 than there had been in 2016. And they realised this was all down to what they call the outwashing effect. So at the front of the car, the teams were trying to get the air to wash out around the sides of the car and not under it and go into the diffuser. By doing this, they increased downforce. And they'd worked on this since 2009, so they're pretty damn good at it. What they did to get rid of this effect was come up with these very basic front wings, very basic front wing end plates, get rid of the amusingly named blown nuts, and also change the rear wings and rear wing end plates, and also cut the, the size of the ridiculously complex bargeboard area of the cars as well. All of this was entirely intended to improve overtaking. It's not yet certain whether that worked. And the tyres? The Pirelli have come up with some slightly different tyres for this season. Um, they thought with the aerodynamic rule changes, the cars would be sliding around a lot more. So they came up with a slightly new construction, new compounds. And those that system has actually proven to be maybe Pirelli got a bit wrong because the cars are faster than they expected and they're not sliding as much. But for you watching at home, what you'll see is at each race, there's going to be a soft tyre, a medium tyre and a hard tyre. And they're denoted by white, yellow, and red sidewalls. However, there are actually five different types of tyre. C1, C2, C3, the explosive C4, and the Sinclair-like C5. Now, these different tyre compounds could each appear as a hard, medium... The C1 and the C5 can't appear as one or t'other, but they can each be one of the hard, medium, or softs at a different race. So at one race, the C3 could be the hard... The next race, it could be the medium. And the race after that, it could be the soft. So Pirelli's attempts to make Formula 1 slightly less confusing, I don't think have really worked. I'm tending to agree with you uh, on that, I'm afraid, Sam. Uh, now, you've spent the last fortnight in Barcelona. You've seen all of the cars and how they've evolved uh, during two weeks of official testing. Uh, and obviously, you've studied the rules. Is there anyone doing anything that you think might be how should we put this illegal well new rules always mean new challenges and the biggest challenge is always to the technical regulations and we have indeed seen a number of things which are certainly questionable i was talking to ross braun um in the paddock before the, well, during the testing, and I asked him, I said, look, I think I've misunderstood these regulations, because we're supposed to have these very simple rear wing end plates, and we're supposed to have these basic wing mirrors, and we're supposed to have very simple, you know, front ends and get away from all of this clever stuff around the front suspension, and it, it all seems far more complicated than I expected, and Ross looked at me and went, yes, it's far more expected than I, it's far more complicated than I expected as well. And indeed, indeed, with the wing mirrors, for example, these were supposed to be very simple, basic wing mirrors, and what seems to have happened is everybody's gone crazy with wing mirror design, and there's stalks and winglets, and in the case of the Williams, it may not even be legal. There's some questions raised about that. And sticking with the Williams, the front suspension has raised quite a few eyebrows as well. Andy Green from Force India, or should we call it Sport P's Racing Point, uh, has also suggested that it's a little bit more extreme than he thought was legal. 
and I think some other people may have that same opinion. Then looking at the front the front brake ducts on the because front brake ducts are another thing that got changed in the regulations to make them a lot more simple. They're just meant to be a duct with a scoop and that's it and a flat plate behind them. We'll take one look at the Red Bull and the Mercedes. They've got two scoops in that section, and uh, I think they've identified a loophole in the regulations and are exploiting it. But one element, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see. I'm still not entirely sure how one element on the Mercedes is legal, but it seems to be. When we get to Melbourne, I think we might find quite a few different interpretations going on, and there could be quite a few visits to the stewards' rooms about various bits and pieces of different cars. Should we start at what we think will be the front? I'm going to say, mm-hmm. based on all the pre-season testing... Mm-hmm. Ferrari is fastest, and therefore we will talk about Ferrari first. Um, based on all the pre-season testing that has been analysed by everyone ad infinitum, the overall consensus is that Ferrari are fastest. Yes, they are. They have come out of the box, and they are the fastest. Well, I don't know. But that's that car is. is the fastest in Formula 1 in 2019 so far, and that is the opinion not of me, but James Allison of Mercedes. He thinks they're half a second ahead. It handles well. It's got beautiful design elements they've totally reworked the cooling system underneath the bodywork i can't wait to have a much closer look at that car as we get closer to the australian grand prix uh we have uh sebastian fettel he stays at ferrari mm-hmm. uh and he has a new teammate who is that it is i leclerc charles leclerc second year in f1 the f2 champion of 2017 uh started last year a bit wobbly with a couple of accidents and problems and then put together a very convincing uh, remaining 18 races or so to usurp Kimi raikkonen of the second role within ferrari uh and you know so far kind of i think really it was a kind of a traditionalist versus the the newcomers but everyone who had any real desire to see f1 move on wanted to see uh leclerc in the car um ironically of course despite me massively slacking off raikkonen in this very program last year he had a fabulous season uh for him uh, won a race and was often the more competitive of the two ferraris but um you know i think the people were worried that if he lost his ferrari job he'd be gone forever but those strange raikkonen fans can rest assured as to the next couple of years at Sauber. So yeah, so Ferrari have moved into the race with one new, with, 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 with one new driver, and of course one new technical director as well, the principal, sorry, because uh, Maurizio Alleroberni has uh, been fired, much to everyone's everyone's joy, and uh, Binotto, Mario Binotto has come in uh, to, to run the overall team. And realistically, that change will have made not one jot of difference to testing. Uh, so what has made the difference? Um, I think they've, they've come up with a new concept. The car has hit the ground running. In, fact, in fairness to Ferrari, they managed to hit the ground running pretty well for the last three years. Um, last year, they had the fastest times in testing again, but they weren't deemed the fastest car overall on long runs. And it was, and interestingly, that kind of did end up being the pattern for the beginning part of the season where Ferrari had a very very good qualifying car and a very good race car but the, the advantage they had in qualifying wasn't as great as it was in the race and obviously they then saw the development race uh, and the uh, mind games race as far as the drivers are concerned switch um, over to Mercedes but the car has come out of the box uh, new uh, so it's very, very, very good it's got the, yeah, the, the, the main changes obviously with the aerodynamically with the um, simplified in number of elements, but not simplified in the amount of work required to make them uh, work on your CFD and your wind tunnel. Uh, 
concept of the outwash front wing, which of course one of the things that's been trying to be avoided by the new regulations, or the traditional front wing, traditional front wing pioneered by Mercedes and Red Bull, the outwash front wing, um, which has obviously been much more pushed by the uh, Alpha and the Ferrari teams. And then there was in the, which effectively means you, you trade off a little bit of theoretical front downforce by uh, edging out your wings towards the, the edging out the, the the outside of the wing it angles the, the air around the tyre rather than over it, which is an interesting idea. Um, and it's most extreme, I think, in the Alpha and second most extreme in the Ferrari. But they do seem to develop a very, very balanced package. And I think that's the key thing. It's got some speed in there. It's got, and it's got some, it's apparently the observers on the track are all saying it looks balanced. The team can do what they want to do with it. So they will move to um, Australia as the favourites. But it's the, the question really is, is that A, how, how much their advantage is, B, how much their advantage is when everyone's trying. It could be more, it could be less. Uh, and really, whether they can keep up the pace of development, because on a new with a new set of regulations, you know, everyone's going to find three quarters of a second during the season, uh, because you always do in new regulations, and they have, and they certainly aren't three quarters of seconds ahead. And they've, and they've had issues in the development race over the last couple of years, keeping up with Mercedes. Um, they've also taken away their, their, the man who was in charge of the overall arch of development which been Otto. he's now going to run the team so whether he can, can keep the factory focused and, and producing the upgrades they need when he's also going to have to deal with the politics and everything else of being team principal for him uh, what about the drivers then is uh, Charles Leclerc going to be a match for Sebastian Vettel in this first season at Ferrari um, you know, it's a really interesting question. I think, I mean, we've had this well, straight statement, oh, we will favour Vettel. That was Benotti said, we're going to favour Vettel. And, and I think that's because it was a recognised error last year. That oddly, for Ferrari, they didn't show uh, Sebastian enough. Um, favouritism is perhaps, perhaps the wrong word. It sounds like it's unearned. It sounds like the favourite child of two or four. No, by fact, what it really means is we didn't, it's focus, I suppose. We didn't show the focus on our a number one driver to enable them to have the best chance to win the championship. We played it even between the two for too long. And I think you know, two obvious examples of that were the qualifying in, at Monza, uh, where Kimi got the, the drag, when, when obviously it made more sense for Fettel to have it into the, on, in qualifying. And again, the strange decision, in Germany, where despite being on different strategies, they kept Kimi in front of, of Sebastian, blocking him, and which may or may not have led to a more heightened brain state, which resulted in Fettel falling off. But it was still Fettel's mistake; he fell off in Germany. Um, times don't tell us anything, really. Um, you know, they, they, they've both done times similar to each other. You, don't, you can't, you can never really compare two drivers. Um, in testing, you just have no idea what they're doing. There's, there's, there's one slight caveat that will come to later about three or four teams time um they both look very consistent they both done a lot of laps and i think the question we're all asking is how quickly will charlotte um the team's number one not not when it'll happen I, I i believe that leclerc is a significantly better driver than sebastian fettel in not now, but will be whenever he gets to the point of, of, of reaching his experience level. I think Fettel, Fettel I mean, this, is, this is an odd thing to say, because it's very likely that at the end of this season, Sebastian Fettel will be world champion. But he is, he is nothing like as good a driver as he was in his pomp at Red Bull. He's been on a downward spiral. Uh, he makes too many mistakes. But if he does have a good enough car, as he proved from 2010 to 2013, he can get the job done. And if he is out the front, 
um, which is every likelihood he will be if he's given support from Leclerc, there's a good chance he can win. I, I just don't, I think like most people now, no one really rates Vettel. Um, he is a good driver who's made them, who's maximised opportunities. No one's going to turn around and say he's a great because he just, he's just thrown too much away and been beaten comprehensively by people who just aren't of the same level in, in other years. But he's got a great chance. As we always know, that you know, the best driver does not always win the world championship. And he is, if he's at front, in the front and allowed to relax with it, the sort of guy who can put together a string of good positions and could, if the car has an advantage early in the season, when he will have an advantage over Leclerc from experience. You know, he could easily, if the car's got advantage, win the first four races. And that would, you know, before they get a chance to have a bit of a reset in, in Barcelona. And that could give him that sort of momentum. Um, you know, they, they had the best car very much in the first four or five races last year into wins. You know, they, 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 they had a problem that China didn't try away from them and, and a couple of others as well, through not, anyway, not for their own. So it's, it's looking good for Fettel, but he's going to need to, to capitalise and start the season, very much like um, you know, Jensen Button's win in 2009 was made from the fact that he capitalised on the fact when the car was way better than everyone else's, he won those races, which Barrichello didn't. When the car was developed, out-developed because Braun had no money, he then was in the position where he could just pick up the points and get to the end and win the championship. By the end of the season, the, the Red Bull of 2009 was better than the Braun. But, but Button had done the work. He'd used experience to do the work and get the points at the beginning of the season. So that's what Fettel needs to do. By the end of the season, I'd be very, very surprised if Charles Leclerc wasn't as fast as Fettel, certainly in race mode, and um, wasn't beating him. Because I think Leclerc is... A, a rare talent that's proven by the way he accelerated his development throughout the course of last year. Um, the only possible issue for Charles is whether, and I think it's unlikely, whether he will have issues with the massive pressure and politics of being a Ferrari driver. They've said that they'll allow him to fight with Vettel. Um, how much do they really mean that? Um, I think it's a statement of it's a statement of fact that. They are prepared to do it. Now, the, the question is, and, and I think that they are, you know, if we're in race two, say, say in Australia, uh, Fettel wins and, I don't know, Claire breaks down, comes sixth, whatever. If they're in race two and Claire's winning and Fettel second, I can't, can't see them letting Fettel pass because that would be, you know, a political nightmare. Um, however, if we get, it's, it, you know, if we get six, seven races in, you know, and there's a big gap, they, they almost certainly will start doing it. Yeah, they, they'll, you know, Austria 2002 was race five of the season or race six of the season. They may be that that blatant. They almost say that this is the new broom. We are only purely focused on being championship. We're not interested in favouring drivers. However, it, that all relates on the fact that Fettel can get himself a cushion in front of Leclerc. And that's only going to happen, I believe, at the start of the season. I think once, once they, they get up to speed, um, it's less likely. OK, let's move on to uh, the team that we think is second fastest. That will be Mercedes. Uh-huh. Uh, Lewis Hamilton said last week that he thought he was half a second faster. Yeah. Sorry, half a second slower than Sebastian Vettel. Yep. Uh, then proved that by putting in a lap time three thousandths of a second slower than Vettel. Uh, what's the real gap? Mercedes is curious. So they turned up at the first test with a car, the W10. And then they turned up at the second test with a car that was fundamentally different, at least from an aerodynamic point of view. It looked different, it reacted differently, it drove differently. And there is some suggestion that Mercedes have come up with two different packages, one for one type of track and one for another type of track. 
I asked James Allison about this. He smiled and denied it, which doesn't tell us anything. Either Mercedes have got it wrong with car one and brought car two very, very quickly to the first test, or they're up to something. But the Mercedes doesn't look like it's as competitive as it has been in previous years. Certainly all of the teams think the Ferrari is quicker. Melbourne might not replicate that because it's a weird track. The funny thing is, Mercedes seem to have stuck to their strange, long wheelbase, high side impact stri- structures, conventional side pod, centerline cooling approach, low rake. Nobody else in the, in the pit lane now is doing that. It's just Mercedes out on their own. So either Mercedes know better than all of the en- other engineers and all of the teams put together, or they've got it wrong. Mercedes definitely don't have uh, as good a package as Ferrari at the moment. They are a little bit off in long runs, two tenths despite the headline super fast run which again we have no idea which engine mode they're on either of the teams we have no idea whether they're still running 15 kilograms of fuel rather than fumes as they would for a real qualifying session despite that they, yeah there's a, there's a lot of talk about the magic lap that um sebastian put in on uh, the medium tires uh, as they will be called eventually um just before lunch which, which made him to look a bit quicker i think the ultimate lap's not very important the long runs are important and it's said that you know, the Ferrari, again, are two tenths up. But, you know, two tenths is about six kilograms of fuel. So you only have to be very slightly different in, uh, in your fuel load. And that, that's negated. Um, barring an, an oil pressure issue on Valtteri Bottas' car, I think on the Monday, the second week of testing, what they have had is metronomic type reliability. Um, Ferrari had a number of little issues towards the back end of the second week, um, electrical, exhaust. Uh, and, and they were say to actually in the end of the two weeks of the test do 200 laps more just give or take a couple of laps than anybody else so they have trundled round pounding laps pounding laps so they have a huge knowledge of what the car can do and, and, and they haven't concentrated on the performance run they have concentrated on getting the thing as much data as they can so they've now got two weeks to crunch that to try and find out where it is the car isn't right what they can do to change it how they can adjust it and the one thing that Mercedes have managed to do over the past two years when they've been in a competitive situation with other teams is develop the car, sort the car out, work the car out, push it forward. Um, you know, the infamous diva of 2017 and the car in 2018 was dropping off and they, they picked it back up again after the summer break. If there is only three tenths of a second, it would be a fool who wouldn't think that they would find that over the next two weeks but the point about it is then how much will ferrari find now ferrari got a lovely balanced car and, and you kind of think well you start it with a great baseline does that mean it's easier to develop or have you got less low-hanging fruit to gain but in stability senses they say ferrari looks better yes this is they'll go to the advantage what it will be no one knows um if it's two tenths three tenths then it's it's certainly something that can ebb and flow during the season if ferrari have I've got a three-quarter second gap. Then you can probably walk home and, and sign the championship way now. Could it be that Mercedes are just sandbagging here, though, Sam? Sandbagging? In testing, there were fewer sandbags used in London in 1940 than one display in Barcelona. It's Sandbag City. So, yes, they were sandbagging, but so was everybody else. It's whether did their sandbag have a leak and the sand was spilling out along the racing line. Maybe that's why Vettel went off in a test, too. We don't know, but I don't think they showed everything they've got. In fact, they admitted they didn't. I still don't think they've got enough in the bag to compete with Ferrari and perhaps even other cars on the grid. With all the advances in simulator technology and the amount of simulator testing that teams are forced to do now because they've got 
very little real track testing the focus of track testing has to be on reliability because you can't gauge reliability from a simulator so does the fact that mercedes had better reliability over the two barcelona tests mean that they have a better car no but interesting the other thing you can't you can't obviously can't simulate either because actually there's, there's no computer that's got enough memory or processing power is actually how tires will really really behave they can model the amount of grip they can model the thermal uh build up and they can model the thermal degradation and such sort of thing but what they couldn't model and that's what they were struggling with for a while was they were getting graining on the tires uh, which they weren't expecting. They, they built a car which was designed you know, to be kinder on the tyres, and now it's getting grading. Now, was it cold grading, which, which obviously won't happen, cold shear grading, uh, which won't happen during the season because it's never cold enough? Was it actually because they weren't working the tyres correctly? So that's why they would know, end up needing to get even more understanding what the tyres were doing. And, and towards the end of the season, they were, sorry, the end of the sessions, they were getting past that uh, grading situation. Um, I think, you know, there's a good question about do you win by doing the most laps? If you're doing laps that make sense, then yes. And my, but my belief is that Mercedes almost certainly were doing laps that made sense. Ferrari, on the flip side, would probably say, "Well, look, we've had these problems. We had problem one, which was a wheel, a wheel, a, some, a hub failure. That's great to have in testing because we can work out what caused it and beef the parts up. They had a issue with the exhaust. That's great to have in testing which, uh, because they can then you know, change that. They had an electrical problem. They had different problems each time, which would have individually each of them stop the car at a race weekend but they've had those three things and they'll be able to sort them out one of the great things about modern f1 teams and one of the things which is which is i think most frustrating ever happens is they don't tend to have the same problem twice because they work out what it is find out they've got you know an absolutely forensic way of looking at the problem and they sort it out so having three or four problems doesn't necessarily mean you've got an unreliable car it in many ways means you've been lucky to pick them up at testing you know it wasn't one thing that was going wrong for ferrari they lost some time um, but they were you know, happy with the car. So, you know, it's, it's a, it swings and roundabouts. It's, it's, you know, if those things happen again, or if something happens at the, uh, in, in the Australian Grand Prix itself, then that's, that's when the problems start. Having problems in testing is when you want to have them. So, but Mercedes, yeah, a lot of laps, um, you know, both drivers uh, doing almost exactly the same time of laps. I think one of the, one of the real problems, I think, for, for other teams, and it's been over the last three or four years is Lewis Hamilton can't stand testing doesn't like it isn't old school doesn't want to pound around the track like Michael Schumacher did it's a necessary evil for him and you kind of know that when when Lewis isn't switched on he's a competent racing driver and we've seen him at the back end of a season when he's won that when he's won the championship like trundling you know just just picking up and you know picking the check up almost not deliberately just how it's, he needs to be completely focused and that the issue is when he is back being completely focused at Grand Prix, at the Grand Prix, is there another couple of tenths in the car? Because if you look at it, he is quicker than Valtteri Bottas, what, 15, 20 times, 15, 17 times out of 21. And Bottas and him were exactly the same. So that what you haven't factored in is the Lewis, Lewis factor. Um, you know, so what is what is the gap? What is it going to be? That's one of the great things about going to Australia. And also the thing about Australia is Australia isn't even particularly representative. So we get to Bahrain and China as well. Then we'll get a better idea of actually what the gap really is. But um, I think Mercedes will be uh, both satisfied with their reliability and, and disappointed to be slightly back from where they are. But it's not it's not the end of the world. It's not a disaster. Um, and it is doable. And, and, and they have no, uh, you know, let's be honest about this, right? They've been really, really good since the start of the hybrid turbo era, but they have no inalienable right to be the fastest. Every team's out there. And now with the uh, convergence of engine technologies, every year the, uh, the car is closer and closer together. 
they, they, they have to work harder, and that's what's going to be the situation. You mentioned Lewis and Valtteri there. Let's assume that once we get to Melbourne, Lewis wants to win another championship. How much ahead of Bottas is he going to be? Um, it's a good question, actually. I think it's um, it's more about what he can do over a season. It's, it's he has that what he does have, which no one else really has. We've seen it occasionally from Fettel and, and every now and again from Verstappen, but he does have that ability to just produce the the magic lap in qualifying, he, and, he, and he can just so zone in on how to get the absolute best out of the car in a qualifying situation. Um, and that's always going to give him advantage. There's always a chance you know, he will be one, two, three places ahead of, of Bottas on the grid. And from there, he, he runs the race and he is, you know, as all modern racing drivers are, it's all about, you know, unfortunately, it becomes very tactical. It's all about how well you can serve your tyres, uh, what you do, what you, you, know, you know, how you actually manage the race. And the actual racing, and we won't see a lot of actual racing in, in, uh, in Australia, we never do. It's nothing to do with regulations one way or the other. Um, you know, it, 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 that's, that's a magic difference. And I certainly think Lewis wants to win another race. Um, you know, he is, you know, like a number of the drivers, taking advantage of the change in regulations about driver weight. So he's now bogged up a little bit, which means he, you know, well, I'm sure will feel even uh, better with himself as it's, you know, you're not trying to live in a starvation situation. You know, my feeling is he hasn't got anything to prove anymore now, is it, to himself. And, and you know, he wants to keep winning races, he wants to keep winning championships. It's It's... That's you know, he has been the problem for Ferrari the last two years. If if, if they hadn't had a Lewis, if they had been running with Rosberg and uh, Bottas, then they wouldn't have won the two championships the last two years. It's it, you know, sometimes drivers do make a difference. Can you make a difference to overcome the deficit they've got at the moment? That's the that's the joy of the racing season. We don't have runaway leaders. We have slight leaders who are leading from a team who are very good at catching up. So let's see. What about Bottas? Is this likely to be his final season at Mercedes? Unless he does something remarkable, and by remarkable I mean on the level of a Nico Rosberg, but without Rico, Rico, without Nico Rosberg's politics, I hear he wins six or seven races. Well, he gets to win, you know, ninety-seven percent of the points Taylor Lewis has. Um, there's not an awful lot of point really in, in him staying on, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, because they've got a couple of drivers in the Mercedes program in the background, like Ocon. Secondly, because Lewis is on a two-year contract, so they don't want to get the situation in two years' time and have changed both drivers at the same time. So they want to put someone new in next year uh, for the final year of, of Lewis's current contract. Bottas, whilst yeah, he could retain his Mercedes seat with a fabulous drive, he's also sticking himself in the shop window for where to go next. Uh, um, you know, there's a number of midfield teams who would, who would love to have him if he puts in a good performance. And, and last year, you know, not winning a race, though he was unlucky, he could, you know, on a couple sorry, on a couple of occasions, um, didn't do his reputation because he needs to rebuild that reputation um, by getting much closer to Lewis. And, and, and that's difficult because he's, he's up against a guy who is in that pantheon of, of greats. You know, you, yeah, you, everyone has their own order of greats, but when, when we get to the, you know, the end of the, um, the end of the Lewis's career, he'll be there with, you know, we're there and thereabouts with Prost, Clark, Senna, Stewart, Schumacher and everyone else and just to be your personal favourites where you put them and it's very hard to be against people like that you know Senna destroyed a few careers and and Hamilton's you know is, is trying to do the same thing not deliberately but just what you do by being good let's move on to uh, the next team a brand new team Racing Point so this is a team the pink team that was called 
Force India last year, and I have to try very hard not to call it Force India. It's the team formerly known as Force India, and the chassis they're using on the RP19, the name of this year's car, is so similar to the last uh, Force India, the VJ11, it uses the same chassis moulds. It actually comes out of the same moulds. So the team couldn't afford to develop a new car for 2019 because they were on the point of going bust before the new owners, Lance Stroll, came in, Lance Stroll's dad came in and took over the team. So they decided to just modify last year's car. Uh, it is a new car. It has been re-homologated. They've changed quite a lot on the monocoque, but it is still the essence of it, the core of it, is still last year's car. So I would expect them to come out of the box quite reliably, relatively quickly, but fade as the season goes on. Why are they third? Why not? I thought you'd do the order we thought they were all in. Well, as Sam just said, with last year's car, they've got uh, some speed and reliability already there, and they will fade. But for now, are they not th- third fastest? Okay. All right, Tim. Um... I'll get you to, uh, at the end of this show, we'll get you and Sam to give your views on which order you think the teams will be. Uh, Okay, racing point. Um, Not the most impressive test, to be honest, from the team. Um, They lacked a few... Um, Sergio Perez Perez was bemoaning the lack of running for the car, the lack of running he had in the car. Um, And I think it's kind of a situation where it was a, a trundle round test. They trundled round. They did the laps. They tried the tyres. They didn't try and be competitive because they didn't. They could be with the aero systems, the aero package they had. Um, you know, the single lap pace was fine, but not great. Um, you know, and the long runs the same as well. You know, they, they, if you actually did the, the cross referencing and analysis, you know, they were down there in eighth or ninth overall um, with a kind of can do better. Uh, you know, they had Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll running for his daddy's team for the first time, banged in a lot of laps, didn't make any mistakes, which is which is good. Perez didn't make any mistakes, so they kept the thing on the island. But, yeah, not not spectacular from the team, obviously, that was in its two iterations last year, the fourth fastest team, uh, if you added it together. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think haven't shown their hand. They're in the, the, they're, where they're going to be in the congested midfield will be very much dependent on on what this upgrade package does and delivers and how quickly they can get it to work properly. Uh, Stroll moving across from Williams, uh, is that going to be good for him? Is that going to be good for the team? It's certainly good for him because the Williams last year was terrible. And as we come on to, and when we discuss about it in a a bit later, the Williams this year isn't looking much better. Um, He's obviously in a very supportive atmosphere because his dad owns the team. Um, but there is nowhere to hide. Um, Sergio Perez is probably the king of the midfield drivers, you know, him and, and Nico Hulkenberg. Um, so it's a very good benchmark, you know, better than Sergio Hrotkin, and he's going to have to prove him against Perez. The, the, the issue with Stroll has, is and has and always will be, he's a rotten qualifier. Um, and in modern, you know, in 1966, that wouldn't have mattered. But in modern F1, being a rotten qualifier is a horrendous uh, penalty to carry with you he's actually a pretty good racer you know he's i think he gains more but i think because he qualifies so badly he gains more places than he was in the first couple of laps but he really needs to improve the qualifying because that's what f1 is 40 percent about you know these days in some races some some so that's what he needs to sort out not his actual racing his racecraft or anything else you know you couldn't really tell much largely what the heck was going on but because the car was so bad but he did qualify poorly 
And Sergio Perez. Yes. Is he stuck in midfield cars too much? Well, he's not going to get a top drive now. Um, he's having a very nice career. I mean, he spent last year trying to save the, the, the Force India team. And I expect he's spent this year. He's going to spend this year trying to save the Mexico Grand Prix. So um, he's, he's got a, a good saviour mentality going there. Perez is fine. He's, he's, he's a very solid driver, deserves his place in F1. He's not going to get a, a call up to the top three teams. Um, he's very good at at picking up the odd podium it was available and you know every, you, you need drivers like that and he's you know he brings a bit of money and makes a bit of money and good luck to him okay next we're going to move on to mclaren the orange team of doom or so it was in at 2017 and 2018 as well yes very orange they, they kept they get, most of their tweets went all oh, papaya on track more papaya it did appear to be a little bit over the top on the uh, on the color of the car to be honest they were putting in some very fast lap times. Their car seems to be a lot stronger than it was last year, although, to be fair, it couldn't have been a lot weaker than it was last year unless it was a Williams. <laughs> um, Carlos Sainz says he's not going to uh, win in Australia, but he could be on the podium, couldn't he? No, not no chance in heck. Um, the good news for McLaren is they ha- last year, I think, maybe... A- being the Nadir, that may be the bottom. This is definitely on the way back up again. Um, the car is, uh, as you say, it can be quick. Is there or thereabouts with the back end of the midfield? Um, they did a lot of um, early in week two. Did a lot of kind of, I say, say glory runs. They did a lot of performance runs with the with the low fuel and soft tyres. And that meant they were top of the time, I think, for two days in a row. And you know, there or thereabouts. But again, indicative of how testing isn't isn't particularly. Um, uh, representative because you don't know how much fuel they're running and, and, and no one else did performance runs there. The car seems okay. Uh, Lando Norris, very, very good. Um, didn't make any mistakes, did the laps. Carlos Sainz looked at home with the team immediately. They had uh, a visit from royalty in the, in the shape of Fernando Alonso saying, yes, I'll help develop the car. All positive, all on the up because they come from such a low base point. Um, so they have this um, feeling that oh, we've, we've sorted the car out. The problem is that they haven't got the, the thing that gave them most of the points last year, which wasn't the chassis, it wasn't the engine, it was the Fernando Alonso, and that's what they're going to have to try and overcome. That's what they're missing. So they need their two ordinary drivers, and you know, Norris may turn out to be extraordinary, but he's only ordinary at the moment, to try and bridge the gap. Mr. Alonso, who pulled so many points out of a car that was useless, and the car needs to be better. And, and, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things changed. James Key's about to join the team, as is uh, Andreas Seidel, so they're about to get their, their upper management sorted out. Um, it is very much, you feel, on the way back for McLaren. I don't know how far they can get up in, in modern F1, whether they can go up to be, you know, back, to, back to an area where they're one of the top two or three teams, but they can certainly climb their way, claw their way back up from ninth, where effectively they ended up last year of the 10 teams and you know start being uh, aggressively midfield and that's that's what what you really want but uh yeah the, i think that the the primary the show off lap times didn't mean very much um and they admitted themselves but it's certain that the atmosphere in the team now is is 10,000 times better than you know by the middle of last season and that goes a long way and, and i think they'll 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 be one of the teams perhaps perhaps with ferrari they're probably one of the teams who's, who's gone away from Barcelona the happiest. They were one of the few teams to have a proper launch. They rolled out what was a fundamentally cha- 
different car, complete change in concept for 2019, and it looks quite good. It looks like the changes in the McLaren management structure have actually worked out, and I think they could be quite competitive. It's really down to that Renault engine, how well that's integrated with the chassis, but certainly in testing, everybody seems quite optimistic. Uh, driver number two is Lando Norris. Yes, uh, Lando. Uh, he'll actually be number four, of course. Uh, that's the number on his car. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how's his rookie season going to turn out? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, with Lando? Lando, um, you know, let's let's be honest about this. Lando kind of failed in F2. Um, it's quite a harsh statement, but he, he won the opening races and was everyone's favourite. Then it faded, faded away, I think he ended just about scraping third, um, behind uh, George Russell, who's, who's, who's present for... Uh, for winning the whole thing was uh, it turned out to be a Williams, and that's just like a poison chalice. And Alexander Albon, of course, who man driving F1 this year, uh, Toro Rosso. Um, so Norris, yeah, he had a, uh, a chastening year after winning everything in, in in previous seasons, and you know didn't put together I think run he'd feel pretty happy about but got the, got the drive because once Lonzo was going McLaren needs to sort of promote him in the case that someone else took him because he still has a you know basic raw talent so I think Lana's got a lot to prove he's got a lot to prove that the last year's F2 was just an aberration or it may have been the fact that Carlin weren't quite on the on the level of some of the other of George's team I've forgotten who they were who George's racing was Arden, I don't know um, and you know he's got that to prove He's got a good benchmark in science. Science quick driver. Uh, remember, was as quick as Verstappen when they were at Toro Rosso. Uh, they, they famously all fell out all the time. Uh, didn't had a good start to his Renault career at the back end of 17 and through the half 18. But then kind of got didn't really look particularly marvellous in the second half of the season as the contractual and and various driver relations all disappeared around its its backside after the, you know, the, the ebbs and flows with Ricardo and everything else coming into. Uh, to Renault and, and uh, Red Bull playing hardball over Carlos Sainz's contract and, and it was all a bit kind of unpleasantly political but you know he's now popped out he's, he's de facto team leader at McLaren which would have been the greatest job in the world if it was two thousand. It was 1998 and now he's like a oh, leading a midfield team again um, good driver I mean, Carlos Sainz is a good driver he, he, he hasn't really put a season together um, and there's often mitigating circumstances he's now got enough experience to do that and that's what he needs he needs to put a team leader season together Norris, if he does what we think he's going to do, we'll be snapping at his heels and uh, it'll be very quick. They've got two quick drivers. But then, you know, this is the thing. In F1, there are no slow drivers. There are no poor drivers anymore. You know, there's no tash that doesn't happen. They, you know, we've had to take two decent drivers this year. Um, it's, it's changed. And therefore, you know, they need to find that. They had the Magic X last year in Fernando. They haven't got the Magic X now. So they're going to have to work a lot harder on the car and the operation of the team. I think some of Lando's issues in Formula 2 last year um, were down to the uh, Formula 2 clutch problems, which affected everyone, but seemed to affect him more than most. And I think probably by the time they got to Azerbaijan, uh, where he had a terrible weekend, um, you can probably think that his season had gone at that point yeah he wasn't as quick in the race and i and i, and I think there was the, the the formula two um is an excellent breeding ground for um drivers but it does have even more irritating tires than f1 does yeah they've got the, the the degradation levels on some of these tires is ridiculous they get three laps out of them i remember there was one race where um there was a guy who ran long in the first session and didn't change till about four laps before the end, and still the last lap his tyres went off on the on the other compound after four laps. So 
and there's no matter managing the team and obviously Carlo were new last year and and uh, you know I think there's a combination of everything I think it doesn't take away from the raw talent that Landau has it just does mean that he's you know he has his upwardly I'm going to be the greatest driver ever since Senna uh, momentum has stopped perhaps that's for good perhaps that's taken some of the pressure off him but he needs to be impressive quickly he can't he probably doesn't because of what's happened last year, he may not have the luxury of a, a slow learning season. He's going to need a Charles Leclerc season where, you know, yeah, you, you'll have a couple of mistakes, but you're going to need to be very, very good and very solid and very impressive for the remaining two-thirds of the season. Uh, let's move on to Renault. The yellow perils straight out of, well, England, the very French team that comes from England. The engines mostly come from France, and the cylinder blocks also come from Shropshire. They've had huge investment into that team from Renault in France, huge investment into the Enstone facility. This car is probably the first one that's going to show the benefit of that investment, but we probably won't see that till the second half of the season. Very much a continuation of concept from 2018, but that concept worked quite well. Great drive alignment, Danny Ricciardo and uh, Nico Hülkenberg. I think they could scrape a few podiums by the end of the season, but it's going to be a tough job because they've got some really solid opposition to beat. Well, it it had a very good first week of the test and quite an anonymous second week of the test. Now, apparently, the, some of the reasons for the anonymity, and it's a very hard word to say on the radio, um, was that they were having a few um, parts issues in the second week. They were a little bit short of some spares they needed, so they had to wind things back, and some of the testing they did was, was you know, they weren't necessarily totally going for it. You know. and it doesn't happen. You've got, yeah, you've got a certain number of parts on the car, and you know, to give you an idea, Mercedes, Mercedes over the two, two races, two weekends, did 18 race distances. I think even the, the worst uh, car did 12 race distances. And things wear out. Normally, the life of these parts is not, you know, things like suspension parts and bodywork parts are not 12 races. So they were actually physically wearing things out. One of the thing about the two weeks of the test, you had two weeks of testing with glory, well, with relatively glorious sunshine the whole time. The track was open with dry weather running for eight days. The cars, engine-wise now, are just about bulletproof. I think we had two engine problems. I think one gearbox problem between all the teams the entire time we were, they were running. So they, they, they just pounded around stunning amount of kilometres between all of them. And things began to just come out of life and wear out. I think Renault suffered from that a bit in the second week. So they had to amend their programme. They looked very good in the first week. Danny Ricciardo looked very good. And Hulkenberg as well. Um, did a lot of work on the on the slower tyres. Um did seem to have a very solid, solid week and certainly a good springboard to go on to. So you kind of felt that from from that, they looked pretty strong. Stronger in week one than in week two, but still the reasons they may have faded in week two are understandable. This is Ricardo's first season in Formula One away from the Red Bull family. Uh, is that going to change him as a driver? I think... I think uh, it's unlikely. I mean, what he, what he, the Danny obviously had had a little bit of advantage over some of the other drivers. He obviously had a year in in HRT and a year when the Red Bull was not particularly good. Uh, the first year of uh, the hybrid era, so he's used to being scrapping around in the midfield. He's not been you know, always, you know, as it was last year, where the top six cars, if they started in the back six positions of the grid, would be the top six cars by the end. They had such an advantage over everyone else. 
Um, so he's used to scrapping. He's going to first thing he needs to do is establish uh, dominance over Hulkenberg, which isn't as easy. I think, but actually, fits. I don't think anyone, anyone thinks it will be easy. Everyone thinks that Nico Hulkenberg is is massively underrated and possibly massively unlucky. Um, you know, still has an unenvi- has an unenviable record of most races without a podium. Um, but you kind of that he's um, it's 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 that's his his main aim for this year because I think the car is good enough to pick up points most most weekends. Yeah, there are you know four or five point scoring positions and there's a good chance they'll be in those point scoring positions. But he needs to be ahead of of Hulkenberg. That's the key thing. He needs to establish that part of the whole mantra first, uh, and then and then go from there and then see where they're at and see whether this 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 push which Renault said they've managed to make some big strides on the air which is obviously important, how they make big strides and reliability as well. The car looks competent. Is it at the top end of the aero? Who knows? But the, the thing really is about Danny Rick becoming uh, number one driver and, and then moving forward from there. And much as the whole point about Hulkenberg's season is to prove that what everyone thinks is right, he's just been horrendously unlucky and actually he's really good and possibly even as good as Danny Rick. So that's that's the dynamic there. It's that they'll be smiling and laughing with each other because obviously both of them are pleasant human beings, but there's going to be some steel behind it and there may well be some fireworks where, you know, because they are on paper, whilst their records of wins and success is completely different on paper, they're actually very, very closely rated. Hulkenberg was seventh in the championship last year. Will he do better than that this year? Well, that's a very good question. Um, probably not. Uh, seventh is the best position you can finish, uh, realistically. Uh, so, you know, he's going to have to battle against his teammate and a couple of others. So it'll be luck of the draw if he gets seventh, to be honest. It doesn't necessarily mean he'll be worse, but it just means it's, uh, it's, 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 where you, it's the luck of where you come. Uh, but you think Ricardo will be higher than him? I think, I think uh, in, in balance over the season, I think uh, that... Uh, We'll, have, we'll get the benefit. I mean, if I'm wrong, I won't be. It's not like, it's not like I, I put my hat in it, but it's, I haven't got a hat anyway to put on it. But I, I would think that Danny would be quicker or get more points over a season. I don't think it's going to be a walkover, though. Are either of them going to win a race this season? No. Are either of them going to finish on the podium this season? Yeah, I would think so. Okay. Let's move on to the next team. That would be Red Bull. Well, the main one. The main one. Aston Martin Red Bull Racing. Yes. Yes. Without an Aston um, Martin in it. Yes. No, the, the title of the team is Aston Martin Red Bull Racing. Mm. Um, probably the interesting thing about um, Red Bull is they are the only team to have had a selection of problems caused by a driver. Uh, Pierre Gasly took the car off the track on a couple of occasions, uh, most spectacular in the penultimate day of testing, which actually then ruined their final day. Um, Gasly does appear to be a little bit excited by being at Red Bull and does need to calm down would seem to be the the feeling um, I know testing is testing but that's even less excuse to, to, to wrap it around the barrier it's, you know, first in federal that's fine the car failed just throwing it off the track during a long run is unforgivable especially when it costs a lot of running time and, and because of the lack of running time we didn't see how fast they were when push came to shove um, so that's the downside. The downside is the damage. The downside is Gasly um, having a, needing a, a little bit of a, a, a brain check. I'm not convinced that either driver is going to be able to stop crashing as they go through this season. However, if they can manage to keep it on the track, I think the Red Bull will win quite a few races with that Honda power unit. And they could be a surprise of the season 
from what we can see, they had pretty much total reliability from the Hondas, um, which is the big gamble for this season, change the Honda engines, which are, they did seem to have a lot of, the car but there was, seemed to be powerful enough, certainly during the, the first week and a half when people were probably running in, in race engine modes. We don't have any idea what their qualifying engine modes are like. Um, they seem to have a, you know, a good hands on the car and everyone said it was looking quite nice. First week times were very comparable on long runs to Mercedes. Mercedes did push forward off that, and, and this lack of information means we aren't quite sure where Red Bull are relative to Mercedes. Are they the same as Mercedes, a couple of tenths back, or whatever it is? And of course, none of us know what they're like when, when they push games comes to shove and everyone turns everything up to 11. So that's the question. I think Red Bull will be very happy, apart from the loss of the last two days of qualifying, or practice, sorry, um, because the car has hit the ground. It's reliable, it's quite quick, they can work with it, and Red Bull are very good at developing cars. Um, I don't think anybody expects that the Honda engine will be a match season long to Ferrari and Mercedes. Not necessarily. It'll be down a bit on power, and, not, and also we, we expect there'll be more uh, penalties taken. It just depends what the magnitude of that is. You know, if it ends up they have to take four bits, and they have to have a couple of grid penalties, and it's going to be great. If it's seven or eight, then they're going to be very upset, and, and that's where it comes to. Um, Max Verstappen was quite low-key really wasn't it now he's, yeah, he just did it turned the lights went away said a couple of things you know and 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 that was it he'll be very, very happy with how it went because he's well one now gasly came in kind of blotted his copybook and everyone's gonna go right okay max is running our team now and and pierre is driving the other car so it's all smiles for max and as long as he can perhaps the, the car is slightly better or closer than the renault was um all smiles for uh christian because everything's perfect about the honda and it's the perfectest car ever and we're all waiting for the fallout yeah i mean in the case of christian horner's comments about engineering and packaging i take that with a pinch of salt what i don't take from with a pinch of salt was the comments i had behind the renault trucks in the paddock with some of the engineers they all seem very very happy indeed so the integration with the car seems to have gone extremely well with honda the power unit seems to be delivering both performance and reliability it looks like it's been a big turnaround for Honda and Renault, not Renault, Red Bull made the right decision by switching to the Japanese unit. Mm. Gasly was GP2 champion in uh, 2016. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, he it ended it. Two years older than Verstappen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's age and maturity and experience and, you know, obviously Max is nearly, on, nearly I think he might have done 100 Grand Prix now already. Um, and he still shows flashes of, of, of uh, petulance and everything else. I think excited, and you know, and it doesn't it it doesn't help that you know there is a nice big fat quote for the whole of the press to hold on, where you know after Danny Rick left and uh, Gazzy was promoted, and Christian Horner said it's a year sooner we'd like to have done it. So um, yeah, there's different. I don't actually the 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 obsession with youth in F1 is 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 odd you know i don't think gasly getting being in his what second year of f1 at what 23 is is he normally that'd be ridiculously young but because we've had 17 year olds in f1 with, with but not that happened again with verstappen uh, everyone thinks everyone's got to be there too quick and i think that has been problematic and sometimes people should have had extra years in lower formula um you know and it'll be interesting to see what, you know, what happens with the next big things and, and whether they get more time in the lower formula, which, you know, I know they're expensive and it seems pointless, but actually it's your learning, it's your learning process, which means you, you avoid some of the issues you may hit when you get the big time. 
Uh, 81 race starts in Formula four 1. Four years. For Max He's done four years, by the way. Uh, so he'll do 100 this year. So he'll be 22 and do 100, which is pretty impressive. If he starts uh, 19 races, then yes. Probably will. But you never know. People miss races for no. all sorts of reasons. That's true. Being told off, being in the north corner. Uh, Toro Rosso, having lost Gasly a year ahead of uh, what they thought they uh, of when they thought they would lose him, uh, were left in quite a difficult position uh, at the end of last season. They've had to start this season with two not new drivers because one of them's been with them before. Well, it's two drivers they've sacked before. Actually, it's two drivers the Red Bull program has sacked. Daniel Kvyat, veteran now, I suppose mm-hmm. you could say, and uh, Alexander Albon, yeah. the first Thai racer since... Yeah, I mean, I think anybody, if we if we had this conversation, though, who'll be driving for Toro Rosso next year, I'd know, around the Spa Grand Prix. We wouldn't have got any of that right. We'd go, well, I don't know, no idea. Um, the, 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 the famed Red Bull um, pyramid of talent just collapsed on its, on its backside and became kind of a little wiggly stick. Um, <coughs> Kvyat came back after being kind of... Uh, badly treated as he was slowly pushed out of the exit by um, Verstappen over the course of uh, 2016 and 2017. And, and and what was quite a good career, though perhaps came to F1 too early, um, was kind of sacrificed on the altar of Max. Um, he obviously suffered mentally with that. And as we all know, a lot of speed and race drivers in their head and just kind of disappeared into his shell. Doesn't help, you know, when you've got Helmut Marko constantly talking ridiculous things in the press the whole time um went away did a year with ferrari doing test driving uh, sorry simulated driving and some other driving and and then came back so obviously they must have seen something in him because they could have employed anybody they didn't have to employ someone who'd been in the pro anybody up really i mean they could have gone with sebastian Buemi. so they obviously saw something in danny that daniel said that he'd uh come over those problems and was there to be taken on alexander Albon, of course um was dropped a few years ago by the program for a bad season, as often happens in junior formula, went on to uh, perform very well in Formula 2 last year, was second, and so well he managed to get a drive for Nissan Edams in uh, Formula E, which he then had to do very top when suddenly found F1 was available. So Nissan Edams made a few quid out of it, um, which is good for them, and uh, and and it's good for Alex that he's now in uh, in F1. So, yeah, it's a weird situation that we see at Toro Rosso. They've ended up, I think, I don't think anyone would really begrudge Albon being there. We kind of wonder why Kvyat's there, but it'd be really interesting to see. It'd be interesting if Danny can, um, Daniel, Daniel can get back to where he was, you know, the early part, or the, sorry, the late part of 2015, 16, when he was actually better than Danny Rick for half a season uh, in point scoring. So let's see if, he, if, if that man comes back. Now he feels refreshed and his, his mind is cleared of all the Verstappen goings on over the previous two years. Kvyat. As you say, he's had a year out from racing. Before that, he was in Formula One for four seasons. He's still only twenty-four. You know, this is this is the point. I mean, by my record, it means he came when he was nineteen. And, and do these young men who've been focused on racing from day one have the depth of experience and guile and wisdom of the real world to handle it when things start to go wrong? I mean, Dan, Daniel's case, the answer was no. Now he's now had a fifth month period to sit, to sit and think about it and the, obviously the feeling from Toro Rosso is that's what he's needed he's, he's managed to get the maturity that you need to to handle the the slings and arrows of outrageous F1 um, and, and 
I hope they're right. I think I think he was he was treated quite poorly by by Red Bull. Um, certainly the demotion to the Rossi and from the main team was ridiculous. It was only politically done to keep them from losing Verstappen. I mean, he was a completely innocent bystander on that because actually crashing into Sebastian Vettel and a Ferrari is not a sackable offence, um, whatever anyone thinks. Um, but their desperation and and, and it's understandable, obviously. Max is a is a better driver at the moment and a better prospect at, at that time than than uh, Kvyat was. You understand why they did it? A bit unfair, treated him badly, knocked his confidence, and it's a hard thing to rebuild. Um, so yeah, but this is a nice new start. So let's see whether they can grow it both hands. And it seems like the Toro Rosso is a nicely balanced uh, middle middle pack car. Sam. Toro Rosso is, I think, going to be the stealth team. And I've said this quite a few years running now, but I do think it's going to be the stealth team of the 2019 season. On almost every single day of the test, the the Toro Rosso was extremely fast. And on different tyres, it was fast as well. Interestingly, its driver, Alex Albon, the tyre driver, had never driven a Formula One car before getting into this year's car for a quick 50-kilometre shakedown and then going off for Barcelona for the pre-season test. And instantly, he was quick. I think he could be a bit special. Could he be the greatest thing to come out of Thailand since Bibira? Hard to say. But the the change to this car is quite interesting because at the beginning of the year, we were told that they would be using the 2019 Red Bull transmission and rear suspension. We all thought that was the case, but now it has emerged that actually Toro Rosso is using last year's Red Bull gearbox, the Renault-engined car's gearbox, which apparently just bolted straight on without a problem onto the Honda. I, I, I find that hard to believe, but they they seem to have done it, and the car seems to work. And it could be that the 2018 gearbox is better than Red Bull's 2019. Again, I'm just fed myself up so Tim can hear that. Isn't that... Uh, doesn't that speak to just how proscriptive the regulations are? If uh, one manufacturer's engine will fit a gearbox that was fundamentally designed for another manufacturer, or would there have been a bit of jigging and poking in a different bell housing or something like that on it? I, mean, I, I asked if, I mean, I said, surely you need to put a different bell housing on the turbocharger layout on the Renault and the Honda are entirely different things. No, no, it just seemed to bolt straight on. I think we got lucky, is what J.D. Eggington, who's the deputy technical director there, said to me. I was like, well, I, I, don't, I, I couldn't really believe it. But I think you're right. I mean, I mean, I've said it so many times. The Formula One technical regulations are ridiculously, ridiculously too restrictive. But I still don't think that it's any... It's just remarkable that they've managed to take a gearbox from a different car in a different season and bolt it to a different engine and it works. It just could be one of those absolute genius strokes that Red Bull may have to regret that their sister team's got all the old gearboxes. Let's move on again. Uh, I'm going to go with Alfa Romeo next. Are you? Okay. Yes. That's the that's the big name change. So it's two name changes this season. Yeah, well, well Sauber is now Alfa Romeo. Very pretty car. Uh, two new drivers in Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi. Of course, uh, neither new to F1. Giovinazzi did three races or two races for the team about two years ago. Stuck it in the wall every single time. And uh, Kimi Raikkonen apparently has driven F1 before. I'm not quite sure where. Um, yes, yeah, he, he's been at this team before under a different name. Yes, he started his career at Sauber in 2000, didn't he, when they were, when they were blue. And he was equally awkward then. I can't quite get my head around whether it's an Alpha or a Sauber, but it seems to be a bit of both. It's continued the design ethos of last year's car, which was super clever. 
designed by the ex-Audi Sport, the aerodynamics were done by the ex-Audi Sport engineers who, at the end of the LMP1 program, all switched to the Sauber F1 team, came up with an extremely complicated car in terms of aerodynamics, but once they understood how to make it work, an extremely effective car. Well, Alfa Romeo have, in, have inherited that concept and those engineers, and they seem to have found what may be the silver bullet or the double diffuser of the 2019 season, this strange sort of incomplete front wing. When I first saw this front wing where the outer wing elements are basically non-existent or completely flattened off on the outer section of the wing by the end plate, I thought Kimi Räikkönen had already hit a curb on the new car and broken it. Nope, that's what it's meant to look like. And it's to get the air around and recreate this outwashing effect. The car seemed pretty quick and pretty competent in testing. The drivers seemed very happy, even though Kimi Raikkonen was modifying his own seat with a Dremel in the back of the garage at one point. It, I do think that they could be another one of these in-season surprises. Don't write off Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo this year. The As far as the tale of testing goes, it was a tale of two weeks. Week one, they looked fabulous, and week two, they were anonymous. Could that be down to a shortage of parts? Like possible. It's it's kind of it's unlike you'd have wouldn't have anything for it. It's almost like they they did what happened was everyone they hit the ground with the car was great, and then it stayed where it was. Whereas everyone else began to improve their cars. It, it, it may be that they were uh, they achieved what they wanted to achieve. They were looking at bad, but it did, did seem that they didn't really do an awful lot um, spectacular time wise in week two. They may have had problems. They may have had issues with you know about it's it again that's. So we'll never know to him what, what what was the reason behind it, but they didn't just push on like all the other teams did. They all, all the other teams found time with set up and time management and everything else, and and Alfa Romeo kind of stayed where they were. But it's not necessarily indicative of a crisis it, it, or or anything else. It might just be that they 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 went down the wrong path. They didn't find where to go. As you say, they were short of some bits they needed. They had the engines turned down. Who knows? That's the joy of testing. We actually don't know anything. Really? What do we know about Antonio Giovinazzi other than he has crashed a couple of times in the past? Well, yeah, I, mean, I think he, he he came in and tried to desperately prove to everyone he was fabulous back in, uh, what was it, beginning of 70 when he was subbing for Pascal Verlein um, in a car that was quite recalcitrant that back of the grid, Salva. Uh, um, and he's coming, he's got a couple of experience, he's still in the F1 field, and this is kind of a fresh start, and people seem to think he's, you know, he's, he's, he's worthy of his position. I don't really have an opinion on him, I, I haven't seen enough of, of Antonio, he obviously isn't as good as Charles Leclerc, as he would have got the promotion last year, but he's off, he's starting, he's running, and let's see what happens, he actually gets a full season, and he can confidently settle down in the car. He's made, you know, noises that he's happy to drive the car, set up in a style which uh, can be Raikkonen likes, Raikkonen He's big or sunny and breezy and happy to be at uh, at Sauber, uh, sorry, at Alfa Romeo. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have a, uh, you know, a much more high-profile season with Kimi in the car, uh, also as an official major manufacturer naming the, the machines. Um, it's going to be about what can they do? Can they develop the car? They lost, they lost James Key, of course, um, a year ago, technical director, uh, nine months ago, sorry. Uh, so they're going to have to try and push on from there. But... You know they are very much in the Ferrari fold, so there'll be a lot of pass down and and uh, information exchange going on there, officially and unofficially. It's it's it, it, I offer probably one of the hardest teams to work out where they are because they've had this weird reverse situation, and then just disappeared. To they weren't slow; they just were anonymous in week two. One thing about Sauber Sam is that quite often they have. Uh a good start to the season, but then do no development work on the car whatsoever. 
and uh, start fading away. Is that going to change? Nick mentioned the sort of full weight of Ferrari behind them. Is that going to change now they've got these extra resources? It's really hard to say if Sauber will continue that pattern of uh, fading off in the second half of the year this year. Uh, they didn't do it last year because at the beginning of the year they didn't understand the car in the second half of the year. They did understand the car and Leclerc made it work. Uh, oh, that should be a meme or something. But in the uh, in this year, I think it's going to be very much dependent on what happens in the opening races of 2019 to see if the FCA management, if they see some strong performance, I think they could pump in a bunch of cash and let them do a lot more. But if the car doesn't work in those opening races, I could see the, the same pattern repeating. Do you even see someone who, in his junior career, finishes second lot? He was second in GP2, he was second in F3 European Championship, he was second in British F3. Mm-hmm. He'll be second in the team this year as well. <laughs> you think he will be second behind the now aged Kimi Raikkonen? Behind Raikkonen, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, he'll be second to Raikkonen. I don't think he'll be second in the World Championship. No, not this year. <laughs> not any year. Uh, so, Kimi Raikkonen, what's his motivation here? Um, ice creams. Um, the fact the factory's around the corner. I don't think he can think of anything else to do. He doesn't need the money. Let's be honest, obviously, money's lovely. Um, I think he just quite likes, oddly, even though he dislikes everything else apart outside of it. I think he still likes driving F1 cars. He, you know, he's not interested in any of the other parts of it. Um, so yeah, apparently, he just you know, the factory's near his house. He can be travel around the world in 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 uh, five star luxury. So it's not a bad life, is it? He is very close to three hundred race starts. Is he? It's quite a lot. Yeah, if he hadn't had that three years off in the middle when he was crashing rally cars, he'd be the he'd be the startingest most driver, wouldn't he? <laughs> he would be, and maybe in uh, the next couple of years he can achieve that. Twenty-one wins, eighteen pole positions, forty-six fastest laps. Yeah, and and for a couple of years back in the uh, early 2000s, he was probably the fastest driver in F1 in probably four and five. Or four, even though he won the, the championship in eight when he wasn't, he was already on the downswing. He had a couple of years when he was blistering quicker, just let down McLaren reliability. You know, he's not, he's a very, very good racing driver. He, he you know, he's, he's also managed to add longevity to it and sometimes, and, and, and a cult of personality, which I don't understand. Um, but, you know, Good luck to him. I think you know he can he can hopefully lead. You know his his position in in our Ferrari, given how well he did last year, is much more understandable than his position in Ferrari at the start of 2018. How he did in 2017. So you know I say you know, let's see what he can do. Let's good luck to him. I'm sure he's going to cause some of the people in the middle of the pack some some problems. Where do we think these drivers are going to finish? Well, overall, yes. Oh, I don't know. Tenth uh, and fifteenth. And what are their best results in individual races going to be? Fourth or fifth? That's promising. Well, no, because they'll just, they'll just win the. Where where two or three of the top six drop out, and then someone needs to pick up the pieces. Um, the interesting thing overall, the you know, is it does seem that the midfield is closer to the front than it has been in previous years, and that's really important because last year was absolutely ridiculous. The number of times that one of the top six cars had a problem, often with a hit each other, like when. Raikkonen hit um, Hamilton or when uh, Vettel hit Bottas and without trying 
it wasn't an issue. Outside of Monaco and Singapore, any other track, they could just drive past the field. They had that much of an advantage uh, to the point where no one was bothering holding them up. So the top six, if the top six reached the end without a major problem, they were the top six. Now, I think this year they do the, they have the same issues again. They're not going to have the ability to get through the entirety of the rest of the pack that easily. So that is good. That puts more jeopardy in and gives us a chance for slightly more um, potentially podium, but certainly top six finishers who aren't from the top three teams. We have seen some analysis that the top nine teams in testing were separated by less than a second last week. Is that realistic? Yeah, again, but this, they're not in, um, they're not, you know, turned everything up yet. But, you know, the, the, the differences were massive last year. Um, uh, it was weird how it got more out of kilter as the, season, as, as the, as the developments went on. But let's see what happens this year. And I, I think it's going to be closer. I mean, I, I'm not saying for a moment that we're going to have seven teams fighting for victory, but at least we can have the other teams playing a part rather than just being um, slightly in the way of a half a lap. We'll move on to uh, Haas. Haas have come up with a very different looking car, at least because it's painted black, um, sponsored by a mythical energy drink, which I tasted and tastes exactly like another energy drink. Um, the car is very much an iteration. It's an evolution of what they did in previous seasons. The car, the, the Haas team has the smallest number of designers and engineers, largely because they buy an awful lot of the mechanical parts of the car from Ferrari and then Delara make the chassis. So the aerodynamics team of, of Haas is one of the smallest as well, but they still get the job done. I could see them coming out of the box very quickly, keeping up with the, the front of the midfield and even the front runners in the first five, six races. But then the de- when the development war really gets going, the Haas team will just fade away, I suspect. They basically didn't kind of um, abuse the top of the timesheets very much, but they did have very good long run pace. Um, they had a, you know, a, a, an under the radar with their... Um, their I, th- I, think, I think what happened was on the first day, um, they had a reasonably good first day and they, they out-qualified, um, well, qualified, out-performed in time basis um, the Red Bull and the MD of Rich Energy, who seems like a very lovely chap, <clears throat> um, tweeted a ridiculously um, a ridiculous uh, tweeted a ridiculous uh, message saying how yes, if Rich Energy had beaten Red Bull and we're marvellous on the back of the first day. And I think whilst he probably thought it was a great idea, I think everyone else thought it was ridiculously arrogant and stupid. And at that point, I think has determined they were never going to be faster than Red Bull for the rest of the test. It was just too embarrassing. Uh, and they managed to achieve that brilliantly, I think, um, apart from thinking on the last day when Red Bull did no running. But, um, you know, it's it's the car looks good. They, they started the season well last year and then blew it by throwing points away the first couple of races when they had a good advantage. Also, that wheel hub which took both the cars out of the running in Australia and inadvertently led to um, uh, Fettel winning the race in Australia last year. But they need to capitalise on the points at the start of the season. They know that it seemed to come out of the box relatively well. People are saying they're at the front. I, I, you know, I'm just reading the same times and sector times and information that, that everyone else is, and, and I don't quite. There seems to be a bit of hyperbole around it. Again, I don't quite see them being as good as they said because they've not really pushed themselves. But you know, they one of the few teams who had around three drivers. They had Pierre Pietro Fittipaldi in for a couple of half days, uh, one um, forced and one desired. Um, so yeah, Magnussen, uh, Grosjean, you know. They've got a very solid environment, a team that knows what it's doing, and they can actually nail those first six races. They'll get a hat full of points. Uh, 
you mentioned Fittipaldi running um, because a certain other driver's head was too big. His hat was too big. Uh, his helmet was too big. His helmet can't get any smaller because his head's not going to get any smaller. So they've had to change something around the headrest area. Well, they've redesigned the headrest within uh, FIA limits. I and mean, you can change the helmets because the helmets are aerodynamic. So they, it may have had an aerodynamic lip or something on it that was actually uh, um, interfering with the way the actual um, body was, was, was built around at the headrest area. And obviously that's not been a problem in the second week. So they've obviously sorted it already. Um, yeah, Mag- yeah, Magnussen, Magnussen, and Grosjean were interesting. Last year, Grosjean was was on form terrible again, and the first half half of the season was terrible. Second half of the season was great. Uh, Magnussen first half of the season was great, and second half of the season was was quite anonymous. So he needs to up his game because I, I I can't see them retain this pair again. So you know, it's kind of like they're having a battle with themselves to be in the car the following year um, because you know you need to you, you, know, you need a bit of refresh, you need a bit of new new blood, and these guys are are good. F1 racing drivers, but neither of them is going to be a world champion. So you need to see what's what's next and, and keep driving forward. But didn't you say that a year ago that you didn't see both of these drivers racing well, in 2019? I mean, the consistency is is very much a benefit. Surely, when you have ten teams and only two of them have got the same lineup as they did last year. But why the others aren't changing for a laugh? They're changing because they can see a potential improvement. Or because someone's left because they've gone to, to, you know, I think if you look at it, the, I think Haas, interesting, you know, it, 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 perhaps they're, they're carrying over the their, their, their NASCAR background and they decide they want to have people drive for 17 years to their 43, I don't know. Um, it, it also, it, it, I suppose the, the, it's a good point you make, Tim, it, it is based on the fact that there's somebody available who they believe is better. Um, and that's the, as well, but and, and there are there are you know you take Grosjean, Grosjean and uh, Magnussen, they're both you know competent F1 drivers. There are a number of other competent F1 drivers who aren't driving F1, and perhaps there's somebody else who is on the way up who can be even better. Uh, the final team we need to talk about uh, is Williams. Well, they're just brilliant. What a brilliant team! <laughs> uh, now, 2018 was not their best season. Uh, 2019, two new drivers. Yes, they've they've done the opposite of Haas. They've they've completely changed. One because they had to because uh, Lance Stoll yes. had left. The other by choice because Robert Kubica is in what way better than Sergei Sirotkin? He's less embarrassing. Um, I think you know Sorokin's very you know, Sorokin is either he's always very very lucky that someone gave him 15 million euros to go F1 racing, or he's very unlucky in that he basically had a year with a car that was terrible uh, against a teammate who no one really knew how who, how good they were, and they trundled around the back, occasionally falling off the track through no fault of their own in what was you know a monumentally awful piece of equipment, um, and then he got fired. Um, I think mostly for not being prepared to pay 15 million euros again. Um, you know, I think his team, I think rather rightly, his and um, uh, Williams said, oh, no, it's fine, we'll get some money elsewhere. Um, George Russell, obviously, uh, a nice promotion for the F2 champion, so it seemed. Uh, Robert Kubica is a very, very good driver in 2009, and we don't know how good a, how good a driver, 2008, sorry, we don't know how good a driver he is now in 2019, so because of the, the historical injuries. Um, They've kind of 
It's nine years since he raced a Formula One. Yeah, I mean, car. I think I think the drive. It's weird because we, yeah, you, know, you kind of expected that as the start of the season, and certainly the, we'd be talking about the drivers because George is a, is a rookie and he's doing he's doing. Oh, let's see how well Robert does and his first chance of running lots of miles in the new car. But everyone just talked about how a the car was two and a half days late, b when it turned up it was terrible. Uh, and then it actually wore out on the last day. You know, they, they, they turned up late and then the car wore out. They actually couldn't do any testing because critical parts had worn out. At one point in the first test, it looked like Chris Grayling, the uh, former Department of Transport boss at, uh, in the British government, had taken over the Williams team because the car hadn't turned up for the first two and a half days. Eventually it did turn up, but it was very slow and didn't perform quite as anybody had expected, including the team's drivers. And that's left Williams on the back foot all the way through the two tests. The team do not seem ready for the first race. The drivers are not happy with the car. I struggle to see them being competitive in the start of the season because they're simply not ready. And as the season goes on, I really hope that they can keep up. Financially, I suspect they're going to be quite secure this year because they got quite a lot of money, I believe, from the Stroll family to let Lance Stroll out of that very tight Williams contract and let him join the Sport Peas racing point. But I don't see them being able to keep up with the development war either. They need to find some new technical partners, they need to find some new commercial partners, and they need to get that team back on the road. I love the Williams team. They're such a nice group of people, but this year just doesn't look like it's going to be a good one for them. Okay, Sam, well you've told us things we already knew there, that the car was late and the car was slow. Uh, You were in Barcelona. Why was it late? Why was it slow? A car coming late to the first test isn't unknown. In fact, there's quite a few teams have done it. And I remember sort of Red Bull would used to, used to turn up with a previous season's car and then bring the new car for the second test. So coming late isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's better to come late with a finished car than come early with a car that doesn't work properly. Unfortunately, in Williams' case, they came late with a car that didn't work properly and wasn't that well finished. And it does seem that there's some real legality questions about parts of the car as well. So the areas they have tried to push the envelope in look like it hasn't gone too well. I I really fear that that car may be hit with some penalties in Melbourne. And they're still desperate to get more track time on it. We could see the whole package come together, but it does seem that there is something wrong in Wantage. And this is a team that's been doing it for, what, 40 years now. How can you get this so wrong on so many levels? It could be it's, uh, nine years out of Formula One. In that time, he's done a little bit of rallying. Uh, and he's done two Creventic races. Oh, excellent choices. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't know. I mean, is is that the preparation he needs to return to Formula well, uh, One at the age of? Yeah, but he would have done millions of miles in the simulators and all that sort of thing. So he'll uh, it, it's, uh, physically, obviously, the question is about his uh, his right arm. Obviously, the rest of him, the the G force and everything. that's not a problem. He's done it before, and he, he can get back that strength again. Um, I don't think there's particular you know, questions until we get to some of the more tricky circuits like um, Monaco where you need full lock, whether that arm's going to be a problem or not. Um, I don't think he'll, you know, I don't know how much of his basic raw pace he would have lost from being nine years older. I don't, you know, the question is what would he have lost from being down to one arm? And we won't know until he's doing races. And then we'll only know how good he is compared to George Russell. It looks like his car's going to be hanging off the back of the grid. His most recent track exploits of both gone nowhere his uh wec 
uh, racing career uh, with by collars uh, led him just doing a rookie test and then walking away and that was a very wise decision with by collars I would say and then he did a Formula E test and never did any Formula E racing off the back of that yeah well you know it's, it's a, he's, he's a difficult proposition for people it's a, it's a gamble um, it's good PR but at the end of the day putting a, a guy with that those injuries in into is, is a gamble Williams has seen him for a year and a bit now and decided it's a gamble worth taking and it might be a, a, a pleasant distraction for them if everyone talk about how terrible their car is okay it's time now to uh, rank these teams oh, what now or at the end of the season I want you to tell me the order in which the teams will be in the Constructors' Championship at the end of this season, starting at number one. Mercedes. One, but I need to write these down, don't I? Yes, <laughs> obviously that would help. Though you could just listen back later. Yes, the podcast will be available. One, Mercedes. Yep. Two. Ferrari. Ferrari. Three. Red Bull. Red Bull, do you think that's... Um, engine will be reliable yep. enough to score them consistent points. Okay. Four. Renault. Renault. Five. Haas. Haas. Okay. Six. Uh, well, at this point, uh, six equal. Uh, McLaren, Alfa Romeo, and Toro Rosso, and who else have I forgotten? Racing point. They're all sixth equal, and tenth is Williams. McLaren, Toro Rosso, Racing Point, and uh, not Sabre, Alpha Mayo. Uh, and then tenth is Williams. And then tenth, Williams. Sam, do you agree? I think it's going to be very hard to bet against Ferrari as coming out on top this year. The car is very fast. They've got two good drivers. If they can keep the drivers under control and keep it organised, I, I can't see anyone beating them. But the only team that can is the team that is in second. While they didn't have a great first test, Mercedes have got to be my number two. Because, well, quite simply, it's Mercedes. You can't bet against them. Third position, I think, is going to be Red Bull Racing. So we have that top three establishment in still in place. But in fourth position, things are going to change. It's a little bit controversial for me, but I think Toro Rosso will be in fourth, but only narrowly ahead of Alfa Romeo, or is it Sauber? I think that team has got quite a lot to prove, but I'm, I'm sceptical about their ability to continue that pace and that benefit through the season. Just behind them, though, I think you've got this big cluster of teams that's hard to work out who's going to come out on top. And I think the next of the pack is definitely going to be Renault followed closely by the Haas F1 team, who will be very pleased to be in front of what is now known as the Sport P's Racing Point Formula One team, previously known as Force India. I think they're going to lose out on the development war in the second half of the season. Then, propping up the entire field will sadly be George Russell and Robert Kubica in the Williams. Okay, and uh, predictions for Drivers' Championship then... Uh, who's going to win that, Nick? Really, do you know what? It's really hard to predict that. And the reason being is that it's all down to something that none of the teams are in control of. And it's all down to Sebastian Vettel's head. That's 
will decide who wins the world championship. If Sebastian Vettel's head stays together, Sebastian Vettel will win the championship. If Sebastian Vettel's head doesn't stay together, then Lewis Hamilton will win the championship. I think the Ferrari got enough of an advantage for him to build enough of a cushion to be able to win the world championship. But he had that same possibility last year and royally mucked it up. So who are you choosing? Lewis. The 2019 Formula One World Champion will be Lewis Hamilton, says <laughs> Nick Damon. For me, the driver's champion, and this is putting my neck on the line, is going to be Charles Leclerc. Really? Charles Leclerc? I was not expecting you to say that. Uh, though obviously, everyone who has uh, watched LOLO will know that Leclerc is a master of disguise. A dark horse in this case, Sam? I think, I think so. Leclerc's already working on it. It's brilliant. And you don't think uh, Ferrari will tell him, no, he can't win, it's got to be Vettel? No. Nah. nah. Okay, let's take a look at Rookie of the Year, Nick Damon. Are we are we counting Antonio Giovinazzi as a rookie? Uh, yes, we are. Does that mean you're going to pick him? Rookie of the Year is quite clear to me going to be Alex Albon. The tie driver has been absolutely sensational from the moment he first stepped into that Toro Rosso. I think the combination of the car, I think the fact that he will be as good as or better than Kvyat, uh, means that he will pick up points for Toro Rosso, whereas I think that Lando will have a problem that I think science will be heading in a lot of the time to begin with, and George Russell has no chance of getting points, and I just think that um, Giovinazzi is a little bit um, wobbly in the head. Okay, thank you to Nick Damon, thank you to Sam Collins. Uh, we shall see between now and December the 1st how many of these predictions come true. And don't forget, you can keep up to date on the latest Formula One news every Wednesday on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, but from all of us for now, good night. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.